You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. All right, tonight I am preaching on the topic of being an all-in believer. It is time to stop being on the sidelines and step into God's promise and actually be all in. So we're going to look at a few things that's going to seem a little maybe disorganized or a little confusing. I'm going to try to keep it all together as much as I can, but we're covering a lot of ground throughout the book of Joshua. We are starting in Joshua Uh, chapter 10 verse 29 so if you would turn there that's where we'll start but we're going to skim through quite a bit Um, there's quite a few examples in here that we can we can take from the idea of being all in we start off with Joshua we see how all in he really is and what is accomplished because of that what God does through him because he is really all in And then we see Caleb. If you don't know anything about Caleb, he is the second spy that went in. The first time they spied out the Canaan land, he was one of the two, along with Joshua, that said, this is possible because God said it's possible. We can conquer them. We can take this land. It's possible. But, unfortunately, the Israelites doubted them. They believed the ten others. And the rest of the Israelites were not all in. These two men were all in. So we see an example of these two men. Uh, and then we finish out with seeing the, um, the two and a half tribes at the very end that chose to not be all in. It's kind of a, a warning that's set in there and what happens because they chose not to be all in. What they did, and, I'll, and maybe it's a little spoilers here, uh, but if you've read through this section of scripture, it's not. They decided to stay outside of the Jordan on the the east side of the Jordan, not to be in the promised land because it looked better. They chose to be outside of God's promise because it looked like that was the better option. And they didn't want to go through all the heartache and the pain. Well, after a little bit of of, uh, time speaking with Moses, and we'll skip a few verses there, uh, he ends up convincing them to fight alongside them and then take their inheritance, because they didn't want to start by doing that. So that's not the people we want to be. We want to be the all-in believers. So let's start looking through the section here. Uh, The book of Joshua summarizes Israel's, this particular section, their conquest of the southern and northern cities of Palestine. Uh, What we know as Palestine today, the southern is in chapter 10, verse 29 through 43, And the northern is in chapter 11, verses 1 through 15, which is the main verses for today. 11, 1 through 9 is where I really want to hit. Um, Two things stand out in this section. Number one, it's the Lord that gave the victory here. It had nothing to do with Joshua's experience, had nothing to do with their numbers. In fact, there was a time in, in these verses 1 through 9 in Joshua chapter 11 where we see how outnumbered they really are, and yet God was with them. Joshua believed and acted on it immediately. There is no hesitation. He acted on it because he was all in, and he won the victory, not because of his ability, not because of his talents, not because of his planning or his might, but because God was with him. The Lord gave the victory. Joshua 10, verse 30, And the Lord deliver it also. 
verse 32, And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel. Verse 42, And all these kings in their land did Joshua take at one time, because the Lord, God of Israel, fought for Israel. Verse 6 of chapter 11, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Be not afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time will I deliver them up all slain before Israel. And verse 8 of that chapter, the Lord delivered them unto the hand of Israel, who smote them and chased them unto the great uh, unto Great Zidon, unto Misrapath Mayim, and unto the valley of Mizpah eastward, and they smote them until they left none remaining. And Joshua, the second point here, he obeyed the Lord by utterly destroying the enemy just as Moses had commanded. The only exception was that of Gibeon. In verse 9 of chapter 11, And Joshua did unto them as the Lord bade him. He did exactly what God asked him to do. In verse 12, All the cities of those kings and all the kings of them did Joshua take and smote them with the edge of the sword. And he utterly destroyed them as Moses the servant of the Lord commanded. And in verse 15, As the Lord commanded Moses his servant, so did Moses command Joshua, and so did Joshua. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. And in verse 20, For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts, and they should come against Israel in battle, that he might destroy them utterly, and that they might have no favor, but that he might destroy them as the Lord commanded Moses. It is repeated over and over and over and over, and it concludes in the book of Joshua how he followed through and did everything he was told to do. He is such a good example in the Bible of following through with God's commands and reaping the benefits. He was not perfect. He did slip up. We saw that. I've preached this before. When they went to attack I, instead of seeking God's counsel, he took the wisdom of the men that came back and said, let's send 3,000 men, and they failed. They embarrassed themselves, and they embarrassed the name of the Lord before all the land to give them a little confidence. But he learned from that mistake, and he continued to follow through and obey God after that. Joshua's strategy was to cut across the land and divide it, then conquer the southern cities and the northern cities. On, one, on more than one occasion, he made a surprise attack on the enemy. In verse 9 of chapter 10, Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly and went up from Gilgal all night. Joshua 11:7 So Joshua came and all the people of war with him against them by the waters of Merom suddenly and they fell upon them and the promises of the Lord encouraged him How often do you pray for God's encouragement Hopefully all the time <laughs> I know I need it constantly I'm right now I'd say I'm definitely in a valley period I've been on a mountaintop for quite a while and and praising God but there are times in our life where we hit a valley and we need him more than ever. So right now, tonight, I prayed for his encouragement, for his promises, because the Bible is full of his promises, and when he promises it, guess what? He keeps it. You can't sway God. You can't change his mind. Satan has no power over God to change the promises that God has committed himself to. And when he promises us something, he, he follows through. In Joshua chapter 11, verse 6, Then the Lord said unto Joshua, Be not afraid because of them. I'm going to read the rest of that verse when we get back to that section because it is so amazing. 
what he says there in verse 9 of chapter 1, right at the beginning of the conquest, have I not commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. In chapter 8, verse 1, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee, and arise, go up to the city of Ai. You see, he continues to remind Joshua, Hey, I am with you. Do not be afraid. Be courageous. I've got this. And that gave Joshua the confidence to be all in. Especially when he sees God follow through. It's a reminder. He promised it. He kept it. Okay, He's going to do it again. He says, go here. I believe him. He says he's with me. I conquered here. He was with me again. Now I believe even more. The more and more we are all in and the more we rely 100% on God following through and not what we bring to the table, then we see God follow through and then our faith is encouraged. We are encouraged like we pray for. And he reminds us, hey, I am with you. No, I do not want to update my computer. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Apple. In chapter 10, verses 29 through 35, we have the record of the army fighting in the foothills, but in verse 36, the campaign moves into the mountains. I don't know if you've ever had any experience of, of fighting in, in the difference between a flat area and a hilled area, or maybe, has anybody here have experience in hiking or mountain climbing or any of that kind of stuff? Probably few and far between. A little bit. Okay. There's a big difference between walking or carrying 50 pounds on your back on a flat surface and then having to scale a mountain doing it. Now imagine carrying weapons, being attacked, having to do maneuvers in a mountainous area. So they went from the plains and now they've moved into a mountain range to fight these, these cities that they have to fight. Okay. The northern coalition of kings, yes, another united front against Israel, was unable to defeat Israel even though their army was much larger than that of the Jews. I want to take a moment to read this passage. So uh, turn with me. It's only a few pages from chapter 10, uh, Joshua chapter 11, verse 1, and we're going to read through 9. Now I want you, if you take notes or you underline, highlight, I want you to highlight verse 4 and verse 6, or underline it. Make, make it known that we, when you come across these verses again, you're reminded of how important this really is. Starting in verse 1, And it came to pass when Jabim, king of Hazor, had heard those things, that he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Akshaph, and to the kings that were on the north of the mountains, and of the plains south of Chinneroth, and in the valley, and in the borders of Dor on the west, and to the Canaanite on the east, and on the west, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Jebusite in the mountains, and to the Hivite under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. Now that's a lot of, of cities. That's a lot of people he's reaching out to saying, hey, there's some serious stuff coming our way. We need to get ready to fight. Okay? Now in verse 4, underline, highlight, circle, whatever you have to do here. And they went out, they and all their hosts with them, much people, even as the sand is upon the seashore in multitude, with horses and chariots, very many. If you're not a visual person, think about the sand that is upon the seashore in multitude. <laughs> There's a lot of shores on the planet here. 
And just being on one beach, looking from one end to the other, I could, would spend eternity trying to count the sand, okay? So that's how many people this is being related to, okay? And when all the kings, in verse 5, were met together, they came and pitched together at the waters of Maram to fight against Israel. Now in verse 6, highlight this because this is God's answer to this problem. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Be not afraid of them, for tomorrow, about this time, I will deliver them up all slain before Israel. Thou shalt hew their horses and burn their chariots with fire. Now Joshua, having heard that from the Lord, could make a decision here. Will he believe them? Or will he seek other counsel? Will he look at the circumstances? Will he look at the actual situation in front of, them, uh, of him and try to think about how he could possibly overcome this multitude? But no. Joshua, being the perfect example of how we ought to be, in verse 7, So Joshua came, and all the people of war with him, against them by the waters of Maram, suddenly, and they fell upon them. There was no hesitation. It was sudden. There was zero hesitation. God said, I have, uh, this is my plan. You will be victorious because I will deliver them slain to all of Israel. So Joshua fell upon them suddenly. In verse 7, And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, who smote them and chased them unto the great Zidon, and unto Misrapoth, Mayim, and unto the valley of Mizpah eastward. And they smote them until they left none remaining. And Joshua did unto them as the Lord bade him. He hewed their horses down and burnt their chariots with fire. This is a great example of being all in. He could have fled, tried to cross the Jordan again. He could have tried doing something else, but he didn't. I mean, there's no example of him going any other direction. No, he went straight there suddenly, did what God asked him to do, and God followed through. It's okay to be all in. It's scary to be all in, but it's okay to be all in. Because when we're in his hands, none can be against us. Joshua 11, verse 18, Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. The long time of verse 18 is about seven years. He started suddenly. God delivered them. But to clean out the rest of the, the sin cultures in that environment, the sin in the promised land, the sin in, in the promise of if we were to relate it ourselves, our walk with God, where God wants us to be, it took seven years. It was not sudden that all the sin in his life or all the sin in our lives or all the sin in that land that God promised Israel many, many years before this. It did not happen suddenly that that was all eradicated. It took time. Israel's failure at Kadesh Barnea in Deuteronomy 2.14, at which time Caleb was 40 years old, we know this because of Joshua 14.7. To their crossing to, of the Jordan, that was about 38 years. When they failed back there to then to being here now, it was about 38 years. Caleb was 85 when the conquest was over, which means that at least seven years had been devoted to the campaign. And chapter, or in the same chapter that we're in right now, verses 21 and 22, and at that time came Joshua and cut off the Anakims, you're probably wondering why I'm going to read this section, but I'll get, I'll get to that here in a second. They cut, he cut off the Anakims from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua destroyed them utterly with their cities. 
There was none of the Anakims left in the land of the children of Israel. Only in Gaza, in Gath, in Ashdod there remained. Now what is the Anakim mentioned here? It was a race of giants. Descendants of Anak who were greatly feared by the ten unbelieving men who had spied out Canaan previously. It was these giants that caused them to fear going into the promised land. So now they come in, all in, and do exactly what God had intended in the first place and wiped them all out. <laughs> I bet that was sweet for Caleb. When he said 40 years prior to this, 38 years before they started wandering, when they first failed, we can do this because God said it can be done. Here he is seeing the follow-through of God's promise. <laughs> Him and Joshua. The two believing spies, Joshua and Caleb, didn't fear them but had trusted the Lord for victory. And it's important to note the difference between those who believe in God and those who do not. Number one, those who do not believe in God believe what God says. Rather, they end up wandering in the wilderness. Saved, yes, but not claiming God's promise. They didn't have the grapes. They didn't have the flowing milk and honey. They didn't have the rewards, the, the benefits of living in the promise. No, they were in the desert wilderness wandering. Does that feel like where you're at right now? I know I've been there. It is not a fun place to be. But that's not where God wants you either. He doesn't want you to be on the outside. He wants you to be on the inside where he's promised you to be. He wants you to be all in and commit. The second thing, the, the difference, is those who believe in God end up victorious and ultimately claim God's promises. The one thing we can learn from Joshua and this entire book is that it was not hand-delivered on a platter by any means. They had to be willing to go. They had to be all in. But it wasn't their might that did it. <laughs> it seems daunting. It seems impossible. And it was constant step after step of faith on their part to walk into the promised land and conquer the next challenge, believing God would follow through. But what does God do in the book of Joshua? He follows through every single time. So which of those two do you want to be? Do you want to doubt what God says? Which is in our nature, because in Genesis chapter 3, that's exactly what Satan did. He's planted that seed of doubt. Did God really say this? Did he really promise all this to you? Do you think you really deserve this? Do you think he's going to help you get past the Jordan? Help you get past this job? Help you get past this toxic relationship? Do you think he's going to help you get through this dark time in your life to get to the promise that he has for you? Well, I'm here to say yes. He will. <laughs> he is with us. And if he's with us, who can be against us? Nobody. Joshua's victory over the Anakim is recorded in, in verses 21 through 22, and Caleb's victory in Joshua 14 verses 12 through 15. And and you don't have to turn there, but that will be on the screen for you. It says, now therefore, this is Caleb talking, Give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day, for thou heardest in that day how the Anakims 
were there and that the cities were great and fenced, if so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh and the Kenizzite unto this day because that he wholly, not partially, not subtly, not mostly, but wholly 100% followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron before was Kerjath Arba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakims, and the land had rest from war. See, Joshua and his army took control of the whole land by destroying the key cities with their kings and people. Israel didn't take every little city or slay every citizen or ruler, but they did enough to break the power of the enemy and establish control over the land. Once this was accomplished and there was rest in the land, Joshua was able to assign each tribe its inheritance. And within each inheritance, the tribes had to gain mastery over the remaining inhabitants who were still there. Even after the death of Joshua and his officers, there was additional land to be taken. Thirty-three kings are named in Joshua uh, chapter 12, beginning with Sihon and Og, whose lands were east of Jordan and had been conquered under the leadership of Moses. The 16 kings defeated in the southern campaign are listed in chapter 12, verses 9 through 16, and 15 northern kings in verses 17 through 24. Now we turn to the actual assigning of the land to the tribes, chapters 13 through 21, which obviously I'm not going to go through all that tonight. Uh, But we see here uh, where we can discover very amazing spiritual truths that we need to learn and apply as we claim our spiritual inheritance in Jesus Christ. So we we start off with Joshua's commission. Joshua had completed the first half of his divine commission. God had called him to conquer this land. He had conquered the enemy and was in control of the land and, and the cities as was stated or required of him in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Now he had to fulfill the second part of that commission and divide the land so that each tribe could claim its inheritance and enjoy what God had given them. In verse 6 of chapter 1, God said, Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. The word inheritance is found over 50 times in these nine chapters and is extremely important. Why is the inheritance important? Because we have an inheritance. It's a mirror for us. We have an inheritance to claim, a promise from God to claim. He wants us to be all in. He wants us to push to allow him to conquer things in our life that we think are impossible. He wants us to move forward and claim the inheritance. The Jews inherited their land. They didn't win their land as spoils of battle or purchase their land as a business transaction. No, the Lord, who was the actual owner of this land, leased it to them, essentially. Leviticus 25:23 says, The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine, for ye are strangers and sojourners with me. Could you imagine having God as a landlord? <laughs> He'd be a lot more fair, that's for sure. I bought a house to get out of that uh, because it can be a nightmare. The rent God required was simply Israel's obedience to his laws. As long as the Jewish people honored the Lord with their worship and obedience, he would bless them and make their land productive and keep their nation at peace with their neighbors. When Israel agreed to the blessings and curses at Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, 
in chapter 8, verses 30 through 35, if you want to read that, you can. Uh, chapter 8, verses 30 through 35, they accepted the conditions of what is called the Palestinian Covenant. If you want to research more of that, Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy chapters 27 through 30 explain a lot about what's going on right here. But I only have 35 minutes, so <laughs> I'm going to keep it to that. The promised land was a gift of God's love. Our inheritance, what God wants for us, is a gift of his love. Yeah, he died on the cross for us. That was his first gift for us. And that is impossible to repay, impossible to pay back, impossibly amazing. We definitely don't deserve it, but he did that for us. But he does more for us. He has a promise for us to claim, and, a, and it's a love promise. It's a love gift from God, and he wants us to have it. And if the Israelites loved the Lord, they would want to obey him and please him in the way they, they use the land. In Deuteronomy 4, 37 through 39, it says, And because he loved thy fathers, therefore he chose their seed after them and brought thee out in his sight with his mighty power out of Egypt to drive out nations before thee greater and mightier than thou art to bring thee in. To, get, or to give thee their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore this day and consider it in thine heart that the Lord, he is good in heaven above and upon the earth beneath. There is none else. I'm going to read that one more time. I want you to really let that sink in. Egypt being the world, our previous lives, okay, and because... He loved thy fathers, therefore he chose their seed after them and brought thee out in his sight with his mighty power out of the world, out of Egypt, to drive out the nations before thee greater and mightier, to drive out the sin in your life, to drive out the, the hurt and the pain in your life, to drive out those that are keeping you from the promise, the nations before thee greater and mightier than thou art. The things, in other words, that you can't do by yourself to bring thee in to the promise Give thee their land for an inheritance to bring you to the inheritance he's promised you as it is this day. Know therefore this day. He's talking right now to you. Know therefore this day and consider it in thine heart that the Lord, he is good. He is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath. There is none else. There's nothing on this earth that can replace him. But unfortunately... The Israelites eventually defied the Lord, disobeyed the law, and defiled the land, and God had to chasten them in the land of Babylon. If you haven't read the book of Daniel, that would be a good next step. That is such a good book. We can learn a lot about true godly character and faithfulness in that book, along with prophecy, uh, which definitely applies to what we're going through now. There were four main stages in the distribution of the land that that Joshua is responsible for dividing. In each of these stages, you'll find spiritual lessons for God's people today who want to enjoy their spiritual inheritance in Christ. Stage one was the assignments made at Gilgal. I'm obviously not going to cover all the stages, but this is the stage I wanted to hit today. Throughout the conquest of Canaan, Gilgal had been the center of operations for Israel. Later, Joshua moved the camp and the tabernacle to a more central location at Shiloh. And if you're in the book of, of uh, Daniel... He mentions Shiloh in passing, and when you connect the dots between the two, you realize that was where the tabernacle was and how serious the situation was happening at Shiloh. 
in Joshua 18, verse 1, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there. The land was subdued before them. We don't know Joshua's exact age at this time in, his, in Israel's history, uh, history, but he could have been about 100 here. But we know, based on the numbers that were given, Caleb was 85, and Joshua was likely older of the two. He conquered a mountain, got rid of the Anakim out of the mountain that he wanted for his inheritance at 85 years old. <laughs> That's dedication. Fully relying on God. Chapter 14, verse 10, And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, Caleb said, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. Joshua lived to be about 110 years old, and the events described in this last half of the book could well have taken about ten years uh, to accomplish. The system for assigning the territories uh, was in Canaan had been given in Joshua chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. And these are the, the countries with the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers of the tribes uh, of the children of Israel distributed for an inheritance to them by lot was their inheritance as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and for the half tribe. Eleazar the high priest Joshua and one of the representatives from each of the tribes cast lots before the Lord and in this way they determined God's will or how the land would be distributed. Proverbs 16.33 says, that The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is the Lord. So it may seem random, but God's hand is in it. Now we're going to look at, at the warning that I mentioned earlier, the two and a half tribes east of the Jordan. This is where we don't want to be. We have a choice to make. Do we want to stay on this side of the Jordan? Maybe some of us are sitting right between the promised land and where it might seem safe. Are we willing to move past that and actually claim the inheritance, or do we want to take a lesser one? Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh had agreed to help the other tribes conquer the land before they returned to the east side of the Jordan to enjoy their inheritance. We see in Numbers chapter 32 verses 1 through 7 now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle and when they saw the land of uh, Jazer I'm just going to say it that way I don't know how else to say it and the land of Gilead that behold the place was a place for cattle the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and to Eleazar the priest and unto the princes of the congregation saying Adaroth and Dibon and Jazer and Nimrah uh, Hashbon and Eliela and Shabam and Nebu and Bion, even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle and thy servants have cattle this is perfect for us I know our promise is over there but look at this have you ever heard somebody say you know I think I'm okay where I'm at Hey, God wants something for you. Did you know God say, like, died for you, has a plan for your life? No, I'm okay where I'm at. I, I'm comfortable. I like it here. That's what they were thinking. You know, that looks kind of scary. That looks kind of dangerous. We have to cross the Jordan. We have to do all this stuff. I don't. Look at all the land right here. It looks, it looks amazing. And we have all this stuff. We have 
all this cattle, and this is clearly perfect for cattle. They said in verse 5, Wherefore said they, if, if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for possession, and bring us not over Jordan. We don't want to go over there because, well, frankly, we're scared. I'm imagining what they're thinking here. And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall ye sit here? And wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord have given them? So he rebuked them a little bit. There's quite a few verses that, that I'm going to skip over. It goes on to say that they committed to fight the rest of, of the battle with Israel, uh, but will return onto this side of the Jordan. They had asked for this land outside the boundaries of Canaan because it was especially suited for raising cattle. The fact that these two and a half tribes would not be living within God's appointed land didn't seem to bother them at all. I'd rather live kind of over here, somewhat worldly, but near God. Moses graciously agreed to their choice and let them settle across the Jordan. If you were to study the 22nd chapter of Joshua, you would learn that while their choice may have been good for their cattle, it created very serious problems for their children. They were very short-sighted. It seems safe right here where I'm at. It seems pleasant where I'm at. It's definitely not challenging where I'm at. If I go to where God wants me to to be, I know it's going to be hard. I don't really want to be all in. I'd rather be over here where I know, at least I think I know it's safe. But you've got to realize that that affects the generations after you. It's not, it may not hit your generation. It may not affect you specifically, but it will have an impact going down the line. These tribes became a sort of buffer zone between the Jews in Canaan and the heathen nations like Moab and Ammon. Of course, their location made them extremely, extremely vulnerable to military attack and ungodly influence, and both of these liabilities eventually brought about their downfall. In First Chronicles 5, 25 and 26, and they transgressed against the God of their fathers and went a whoring after the gods of the people of the land whom God destroyed before them. And the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, king of Assyria, and the spirit of Tilgath-Pizneser, uh, king of Assyria, and he carried them away, even the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and brought them unto Halah and Habor and Harah and unto the river Gozan unto this day. See, the boundaries are given for Reuben in the south in Joshua chapter 13, verses 15 through 23, the half-tribe of Manasseh in the north, Joshua 13, 29 through 32, with Gad sandwiched in the middle here. Which leads us all to the lesson for today. Do not become a borderline believer. We should desire so much to enter into the inheritance God's appointed for us and to rejoice in it. Psalm 47, 4, he shall choose our inheritance for us the excellency of Jacob, whom he loved, Salah. The will of God is the expression of the love of God and is always best for us. Do not become a borderline believer. Do not live on the edge. Do not live where it seems comfortable. Go where it's not comfortable. Believe in God. Trust in him. Have faith in him. Be all in, and he will conquer the things that are impossible for you as an individual to conquer. Yes, there's a level of fear and uncertainty to stepping into God's promises 
Does God truly love me? Will it really be better than where I'm at right now? Could it possibly be better than this? You might even say I'd rather have the control over my life than let God have control over it. But let me say this, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how big the opposition to get the promise that God has for us is, God is with us and will see us through it. Let me say it this way. God is with you and will see you through it. Remember we underlined Joshua 11.4 and 11.6? And they went out, they and all their hosts with them, much people, even as the sand is upon the seashore in multitude, with horses and chariots very many. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Be not afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time will I deliver them up, all slain before Israel. trying to help you understand today that you need to step into his promise and be an all-in believer. So I challenge you today, as uncomfortable as it is, instead of sitting in your seat, let's come to the altar and be all-in. I'd love to see all of us come and pray and ask God to give us the strength, to give us the encouragement like he gave Joshua to be all in, and just lay it all out for him. Maybe name specifically the challenges that you see ahead, the thing that you know is keeping you from being close to God or being all in, and just give it to him and say, Lord, I, this is what I'm struggling with right now. This is what I see as an impossibility. I don't know how you could possibly overcome this, but here's what I'm dealing with. I don't know how you'll do it, but I trust you'll do something. So I'm going to open the altar now if Sonia wants to play something softly. I know I'm going to get down there. So I ask that you join me as well. Mm -hmm. 